For so many modern-driven women, life is about being more than one thing. We're multidimensional, and so are our conversations. We carry multiple identities. We can be both mother and artist, both attorney and entrepreneur, both clinician and CEO, both humble and proud. Life for women like us is about both, about all of the above. It's about the and. Our stories are the stories of so many of you. We wanted the freedom and flexibility to live life on our own terms, and we felt the pull to be more present with our families. But we still felt drawn to contribute, to build, and to create. And we wanted to establish financial security for ourselves and our children. For us, that looked like founding software companies, but for you, that may look different. Our mission is to help other smart, conscious women build and grow businesses on the internet. Starting up online can be overwhelming and isolating, but it doesn't need to be. Join us for honest conversations about what it really means to grow an online business that aligns with your values and adds something meaningful to the world. I'm Sandy Connery. And I'm Jenny Barcelos. And you're listening to the And She Spoke podcast. In our business, we're big fans of financial literacy and accountability. Knowing your numbers is an essential aspect of building a successful business and inherent responsibility for any entrepreneur. We also believe that what you focus on grows. So pay attention to your money. How do we stay up to speed on our numbers? We use Bench for our bookkeeping. It's simple, elegant, and saves us so many hours that would otherwise be spent neck deep in receipts on the other side of a spreadsheet. Each month, our transactions are automatically imported into Bench and we get on-demand financial reports. We even enjoy opening up our profit and loss statement to review each month. And when tax time comes around, we are up to date and ready to go. And this is what financial empowerment feels like. Head on over to anshe.co slash bench to save 20% off your Bench accounting plan for the first six months. Welcome to the Anshi Spoke podcast. Today, we spoke with Devin Brooks, one of the most inspirational entrepreneurs we've ever interviewed. Devin defined a new market category, co-founding Blow, the world's first and largest franchise chain of blow-dry bars. The company now spans four countries with over 130 locations and has collaborated with international mega brands like Mattel, Guess, Topshop, and Gwyneth Paltrow. True to her knack for shaking up industries, Devon is now growing her second venture, Sphere, a full-service marketplace software platform designed to make personal and professional coaching more accessible with a gym-like membership experience for individuals. Sphere's mission to support consciousness in the world by democratizing coaching has attracted backing from leaders at Lululemon, Thinks, Headspace, and Viacom. Her team works remotely and is located all over the world, but Devon is a fellow Canadian and lives with her two young kids in Whistler, BC. And of course, living in Whistler, she does a lot of mountain biking, which you'll hear her talk about how important that activity is to her sanity. I know you will love this interview with Devon Brooks. Enjoy. Well, welcome Devon to the podcast. We are thrilled to have you. <laughs> Thank you. I'm happy to be here. I have a little bit of a tickly throat, but nonetheless, you can hear me. So that's good. We're in business. It's all good. So Devin, introduce yourself to our audience. Who are you and what do you do? 
Sure. So I am a mom of two. I have a four and a six-year-old. I'm based out of Whistler, BC. I run a company called Sphere. We are kind of like the class pass of personal growth. So we are a marketplace platform that connects people who want to grow with certified, trained, specialized coaches. We call them guides to support them for coaching sessions, all digital, completely remotely. And uh, we've been doing this now for a little over a year with our public product. It's been extremely exciting. And my journey to that started with my first company, Blow Blow Dry Bar, which I started when I was 20 years old and was really sort of catapulted into leadership, which brought me to coaching and coaching brought me to Sphere. That's a lot of leaps into that. Into that. Mm-hmm. So what made you start a blow-dry bar at 20 years old? Yeah. So I was raised by entrepreneurs. I didn't come from a household where it, we were motivated to become doctors or lawyers or accountants or any of those incredibly important and noble occupations. It was really, my exposure was all through looking at opportunities and finding places to solve problems and then solving them. So that was really all of the exposure I had ever seen. And it was very natural for me as a result to, I want to start businesses. And my mom and I had been sort of batting ideas back and forth for a couple of years, probably since I was 15 or 16, business ideas that we wanted to start together. And most of them were sort of subpar or great. But then when we came down to logistics, we were like, oh, this is not quite the thing that's going to light us up. Or I love this opportunity, but it's not our business. And one day we were on the phone and this idea came between her and I that there was sort of these awesome speedy offerings for things like manis and petties, but that women had to really pay so much and take so long to get great hair, great styles. And at the time, salons were offering blow dries. That was the only place to get a blow dry was a salon unless you were in your own home. And they were extremely expensive. They took too long. You'd often be there for an hour to sometimes two hours for a wash and a blowout, which is ludicrous. But it was because they weren't optimized for blowouts. They made the most of their margins for cut and color. And so it made sense that they charged too much and took too long. So we realized that there was this huge opportunity to streamline that service and and then create an experience around it, which is why we called it a blow-dry bar. And there was really specific design considerations that went into that. It was all around creating an experience that was uplifting and yielded confidence for women. And where was that? Was that in Vancouver? Our first location was in Vancouver, Canada, and there are about 130 locations today. So it's still going? Oh, yeah. Very much so. Mm -hmm. And so what's your role in that business now? I sold it. Oh, I see. Okay, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So that takes a lot of like money. Were you in the beauty industry in any way before you decided to open those physical locations? No. No, it's just like a problem. I'm going to solve it. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I was like most young women. I was into fashion. I, I did a fashion communications degree. But I chose that school because there was 
a very tactile approach and no exams. So tells you a lot <laughs> about me. And but it was it was a phenomenal school and a phenomenal program where all of the teachers were real time professionals. So sometimes you know class would be canceled because someone was on set with Stella McCartney, which was very mm-hmm. inspiring. <laughs> and and I loved that. And I loved the idea of expression and communication of ideas through art and fashion. And so, so what's, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, just that's where I wrote the business plan for Blow. And it gives you an idea of, you know, a little bit of experience and exposure to, say, fashion and beauty. But I was 20, so I was barely in industry in anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Go ahead, Jenny. So now you run a software platform, an app. And I would love, there's a lot of story that goes between those two points in time. It sounds like a a huge journey that involved coaching, but I just, off the top of your head, what are the key differences between starting a brick and mortar retail focused service-based business and then starting a platform? What has been different? Yeah. So, I mean, there's inherent differences just in time. So I'm 34, 14 years ago, there were few, if any, funding resources for women that wanted to scale concepts in beauty. And things have changed quite a lot over time. So in terms of like funding and resources, the landscape just just in generational and global shifts looks so much different. In terms of the approach to the businesses themselves, I mean, starting brick and mortar requires upfront capital. So does starting a technology startup. You got to hire engineers, you got to build the product. It also depends what you're building as well. But I think the inherent difference or the thing that I really felt the most that I love so much about being in technology is that everything is sort of like an as-you-go philosophy, whereas with brick and mortar, you nail that first location. It's your test kitchen, but you have to have everything done. Like when a client walks through the door, it's got to look perfect. We had beautiful magenta lucite countertops. We had Philippe Stark ghost chairs. We had every detail. Everything was perfect. You know, we didn't spare a dollar in any design-oriented opportunity to create just a glorious experience for women. And that was necessary from day one in order to to have people invited into the location and have that foot traffic. So what's interesting is that there's such that upfront expense, but once that location is built, you can't the cost and time associated with then closing things down to break walls to try something new and different is so inherent from technology. Whereas you can release in stages, you can release a feature, you can learn really quickly and make data-driven decisions and build something in the background, publish it, and immediately have those clients or new clients start experiencing a new product. You know, you can A-B test. That's really hard to do in brick and mortar. You're you have to have things dialed and there's a level of risk to that in brick and mortar that yeah is is not malleable so i don't even know where to start i have so many questions so <laughs> can you maybe just fill us in on the journey from having the blow dry bar to the coaching now and then let's talk more about the technology 
Sure. Yeah. Well, I was raised by a coach, so it might feel really jumpy, but this has been my life. I've grown up with this vernacular. My mom is an extraordinary coach. She's published in my app and lucky people who want to grow, who subscribe to a sphere membership and get matched with her. You are extremely lucky. And so I really was surrounded by this vernacular and communication style and this tool. I think it wasn't until though that I was a leader that I really understood that it wasn't just my mom's unique magic or own personal genius, but it was actually this incredible tool that was highly effective and started to employ it in that setting in order to pass the cultural baton to every new franchise partner and seed and nurture leadership in individuals who are 15 or 20 years my senior. And I started to see the efficacy of coaching in real time in my professional life and just fell deeply in love with it and had really increasing volumes of respect for what it can achieve for people. And I grew that business with my two co-founders until exiting it in my, I guess, mid-late 20s. And when I did that, um, lo and behold, I followed my mom's footsteps and started a leadership and life coaching practice. And I did that primarily digitally through my smartphone, kind of organic inbound by referral, which coaching has grown predominantly by referral over the last 40 years. And I loved that work. I loved it. It was though very inspiring until it started to get frustrating. And I was six years into my practice and I was looking around and I was watching this work be playing out in people's lives and and yielding incredible results, but also watching some things that to me were problematic. It was exclusive, it was white, it was expensive, and that made it less and less interesting to me unless I could do something about it. And so I started to research the coaching industry, which I hadn't really done before. It was just this organic unfolding into a tool that was such a big part of my life and sharing it with others. But as I started to research the industry, my interest peaked again and it had been growing four to six percent a year, year over year, sort of despite itself. It was hard to access. It was in these exclusive siloed circles, primarily in executive leadership, though coaches were starting to become emergent in the side hustle culture. And I was watching this growth without really any accessible platform, tool, experience, brand that actually educated people on what this was and made it easier, more affordable for them to access so that this tool that has been proven to support social and emotional intelligence could actually make a greater impact beyond the limited circles that it had touched, even though it was already a multi-billion dollar industry. So it was another opportunity like Blow where there was historical data and success with a service or product that I felt was just improperly packaged for really like widespread cultural adoption. Mm -hmm. So you had this set of realizations and you decided you wanted to do something about it. What was your first step in building a technology platform? Well, at this point, I had had a really successful brand and business under my belt and that made wanting to start something new, just a little bit more accessible than it would have been to start a technology company as a non-technical founder had I had no prior and notable, particularly notable business success. 
And so my first step was to put my idea on paper, which I did at two o'clock in the morning while my babies were sweating all over me in my bed. (laughs) And I put it on paper started to map out the concept in terms of pricing, you know, problems, that sort of traditional format that helps us really make sure that we are solving the problems and seeing the opportunity clearly and coming up with something that is yeah, unique and innovative. Um, and then I told a couple of people about it and I made sure that those couple of people that I told were people who were in the space who had very impactful perspectives on well-being, coaching, peak performance, and global trends as it relates to self-improvement. So some of those people were the COO of Lululemon, the head of coaching at Marcus Buckingham. I went to just a handful of people who had really unique understandings and I started to get really powerful feedback on the concept that yielded investment from those people as well. So once I had that, I was able to start to forge a path forward and create the initial prototypes, well, first wireframes and prototypes, and then move towards some basic algorithm building and algorithm testing, which we often refer to back then as like kind of popsicle sticking our algorithm because we did everything so manually. So we behaved like our algorithm and then we contacted people as though we were reaching out from a seamless platform, which we were totally not. And that allowed us to test some theories we had around how to assess someone's needs and match them with a best fit coach based on those needs and then how to enable and empower them with those matches to still try before they buy and experience a few different coaching styles to see who they vibe with and who you know piques their curiosity and makes them excited about their growth before they start having sessions and then start having sessions. Once we sort of were able to get clarity around what was needed, we started to develop the beta. So one of the things that I was most excited about when we were preparing to interview you, Devin, was just the fact that you're a fellow female founder and woman in this space. And I just wonder, compared to the other business experiences where you've been a a woman among women, both in the sort of beauty industry and and brick and mortar retail space, and then also as a coach, which is also primarily female dominated, how has this transition been for you as a woman? Have you noticed anything in particular that's been different in this industry versus your previous professions? Well, I could see, I've never actually illustrated it like that. I can see how it would look like that. But the reality is when you're fundraising for anything or you're out there pitching or you're Mm -hmm. at conferences, you're actually in rooms full of men. So since I was my beginning of my adult career, I've just been in rooms full of old men. And that was my predominant experience. Uh, That was who I was pitching to. That was who I was doing deals with. The women were the clients, but I was in room full of men as it related to business development or giving public talks or whatever. And then as a coach, whilst coaches are certainly way more heavily on female in terms of gender, you're very much in your own little world, in your own little practice. Most coaches don't interact a lot with other coaches, which is strange without an ecosystem like Sphere or a community. And if you do, it's because you met some people through your certification process. And so 
I can see now as you say that and play that back to me, I'm like, of course it would look like that, but that's not actually how it was at all. And so for me, starting this business, yeah, I never, I never looked at it through the lens of gender. I already knew because I had been in business since I was 20 that experiencing things or building something in the world was inherently harder as a woman. Accessing capital was harder as a woman. Getting the meeting was harder as a woman. And there's a lot of facts that now we all are aware of as to why that is. Well, those positions are predominantly held by men and who are you most likely to take a meeting with? Well, somebody that reminds you of you when you were young. Infrequently does a young woman do that for an older man. And so a lot of those opportunities are are galvanized that way. But for me, starting Sphere, what was different was I think more around the type of talent that I was going to be requiring to build this thing and achieve this mission and vision. I had done a contract once upon a time with a technology company that was needing brand support to facilitate a successful acquisition to a major media partner. And so I had had exposure to engineers and engineering types, and I was aware that this was going to be a different type of of individual in terms of attracting and motivating them and also speaking that language because I was a non-technical founder. So I spent a lot of my nights and mornings just like reading about everything. And, you know, I remember when we were first building our first version of the site and all the developers were sleeping at night. I, something in like the JavaScript code was broken and I didn't want to embarrass myself the next day and ask a dumb question about JavaScript. So I spent all night trying to figure out how to like fix this one line of code. I have been there, Devin. We are one in the same. I have had those all nights in JavaScript myself. (laughs) And just like a source of pride where you're like, I know that this is an embarrassing question and I don't want to ask this question. I just want to fix the problem. And yeah, so it was definitely for me, it was about making sure that I was able to speak enough of that language to facilitate some level of ease in those transactions and in that ideation and creation and building of what what we now have today, which is a product we're really proud of. So what do you struggle with today as a leader in this company and in this space? What do you struggle with? I just laughed because I'm like, <laughs> I mean, it's 2020. I'm like, this question is such a big question. Sleep? I mean, I love business because business... <sighs> it energizes me. Challenges and problems energize me. And I see business as a vessel for impact. So I use business as activism. I use business as my platform for renegade thought leadership to say something different, to do something different, to serve people in a way that they haven't been served before. And so I don't often get defeated by challenges to do with business. I think when I feel really challenged or when I'm having the feeling of feeling weak or not prepared for the current moment, it's usually like got to do with stress management and sleep and making sure I'm fueling my body correctly so that I have the vitamins I need to be a rock star the next day. And I think as a 
a female founder who's a mother, I became a single mom last year. So I was transitioning into being a single parent with all of the responsibilities that come with that, which were all very much increased. And then three months later, there was a global pandemic and I had no childcare and I needed to figure out how to run my business with maybe two actual hours a day where someone could support me with my children that was safe within the parameters of COVID. So there was a period of time where I was running my business and supporting my team and trying to move things forward and batten down the hatches to make sure we were set up to continue to do what we do as an early stage startup. And I had maybe, maybe two uninterrupted hours a day to do it. Maybe. That's a lot. (laughs) So... (laughs) That's amazing though. I mean, I, th- I think 2020 is going to be this benchmark year for a lot of companies. How you handled the pandemic as a founder, I think is going to dictate the next series of years for many of our companies. And I'm just wondering, just overall, how has COVID impacted your business? It seems to me from what you all do that this, this potentially was a really great opportunity for growth, but I'm, I'm curious to hear from your perspective. Mm-hmm. Well, we're a remote team. We've been a remote team since the beginning. I was already a mother when I started coming up with this concept and I had had a business before and I knew what it took to make something successful. And I knew that in order to do that at this stage of my life with two young children and to want to be the kind of mother that I wanted to be in terms of being empowered to engage in a way that I wanted to engage. I knew that my team had to be remote. I couldn't be wasting time driving places. I also knew that I didn't want to cause any unnecessary harm to the planet. So the idea of dematerializing an industry and making it more digital was very interesting to me. I felt that I was making that decision both for my own personal experience of life and also as a way to make an impact in the world but be respectful of climate the climate and our environment. And so I started scaling the team that way and it has meant some really, really cool stuff. It's meant that we have been able to really hire the right people for the job regardless of where they are. And inherently that makes your hiring process more inclusive because when you look at how much it costs to live in densely populated cities where people can drive or be at their office in 15 minutes, you start to really close in on a lot of those components of diversity just inherently. And so the idea that this would just open us up to a way wider community of potential team members was really interesting. So I say that because we were already in a kick-ass groove as a remote team with a beautiful culture that was rich with trust. And so when COVID happened, we didn't experience any hiccups. It was like business as usual from an operational perspective. However, we're a team of humans, like all teams, and there were a lot of increased concerns of my individual team members and you know their own well-being. Some of them are countries and worlds away from their families. And I knew that that I was going to need to be really tapped into their, yeah, their needs and desires and sensitivities during that time, as well as to make sure that I was being a great mom and and that's what makes me proud and that that's what makes me feel like an 
ace work when I'm proud of how I'm parenting. That meant that I was going to need my, to set myself up to be patient and to persevere and to be joyful. So I was going to have to make sure I was building exercise into my workday and building all of those considerations in even more than I had ever have, more deliberately than I had ever before. So those were some of the the really big changes. I think that as an early stage startup, obviously, that is still very reliant on outside funding. One of the huge questions for me was, how is the landscape going to change for now and possibly forever? And what does that mean about the way that I want to fuel this fire, meaning fund this company? And so I thought a lot about that in the first 60 to 90 days and really battened down the hatches to make sure we were still set up for success and that we weren't going to have to go back to market to fundraise in a time when that would frankly be a waste of energy and a depletion when I needed to be caring for myself, caring for my team and keeping my eye on whatever the future was going to look like. So yeah, those were a lot of the big things that I was thinking about. But in terms of how the pandemic has influenced how we work and how we operate as a team. I think it just doubled down for us on what was already there, which was a lot of trust and love between team members, a lot of desire as a result to empower each other as individuals to make sure we're all understanding and in agreement that we are responsible for managing our own experience in the world. And that means if you're stressed, you say so and you do something about it and you ask for the space that you need to take care of that stress or to not be tired, whether that's get some sleep in the middle of an afternoon or close your computer and go for a two-hour hike because the sun is shining. And so it just placed even more emphasis on that, I think, as a team. Mm, that's beautiful. I loved I loved that explanation of how you handled it with you and your team. That's amazing. It's so fascinating to have these stories come out. Like, what was your 2020 like? And it's just all over the map. And I love how you really concentrated on yourself and your team's well-being to navigate this this new world. So thank you for sharing that. Jenny, do you want to do join hustle? Yeah. So Devin, thank you so much for sharing so much of your experience with us and our listeners. And I know that it takes a lot of vulnerability to kind of answer these questions. So thank you for that. So we end every guest interview with a joy and a hustle. So we ask you for one thing that's been bringing you joy lately that you'd like to share with our listeners and also a tool that you love that could help our fellow listeners hustle in their business. Mm -hmm. So my joy in recent months has been mountain biking often alone, but also with my children. And I fell in love with it this summer, downhill mountain biking. And for me, it was like the mental challenge. My brain needed a new challenge. I'm also learning the drums now. So (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I would say those- Like what kind of drums? Like like drum set? Yeah. How does one learn drums? Like, are you getting lessons or like some? Yeah, my mom friend is is teaching me what she's learned since the beginning of the pandemic. And now she can play a couple Metallica songs. And oh my God. I went into her garage and I was just like, this is exactly what I needed to just slap some things oh <laughs> and make God. it sound beautiful. It is. It's like, it is an attraction to being able to use and stimulate my brain in different ways. Mountain biking, it was hitting those obstacles and like, 
upping the rock faces I was able to do week to week. When I first started, I didn't think I was going to be able to do a rock face. And 30 days later, I'm like crushing a seven foot rock wall and then a 12 foot rock wall. So those things bring me so much joy because they remind me that I'm brave, that I'm full of courage, that I can tap into that whenever I want. My hustle and something that might support other people's hustle is I think one of my like my like tactics for making sure that I can do the thing each day that actually drives my business and me forward is time blocking. I am a lovingly ruthless time blocker and I will say no to any and all things that don't allow me to do what I've allocated and dedicated myself to in that window of time. At first, it's really, really challenging because everything is important. (laughs) Everything is important. And especially when you're the CEO, everything is important. And so it's, it's therefore really critical that you're able to get your eagle eye on elevating and navigating through everything that has surfaced itself to you as being the thing you need to do next to what is, what is that one to a couple things that if you do them today, it sets you up to, and tees you up to knock it out of the park tomorrow or in a month or in six months. So time blocking for me is, is huge. And of course, I mean, the best coaches have coaches. So you got to believe that I use my app. <laughs> <laughs> and can you just tell us on the time block? It's so funny they say that because we're having these conversations on our team right now about this. Do you block a time to just for you, like focus time that is just for Devin to do her work? Tell me how you use time blocking. Yeah. I time block everything. I time block my emails, my bike rides, my lunch. I time block, even if it's down to like a seven minute initiative, I time block it and I block out windows of time for production or outreach or for projects. I'm like looking at my calendar mm-hmm. as, I'm, as I'm saying this. That. Yeah. And down to, I have at two o'clock every day because that's usually energetically when I start to to fade during the day, I'm starting to hit like a period of less creativity. My output is slower. So every day I have a 10 minute time block called what do I need right now? And I just take 10 minutes because I know that that's my window of time every day where I start to de-energize and I do the thing. So it's sometimes I need to talk to like one of my best girlfriends in Amsterdam and laugh for 10 minutes, or I need to go snuggle my kid if they walk through the door, or I need to do push-ups or sit-ups. So I, I get really detailed about my days, and that has been extremely empowering as a working parent, a working full-time single parent. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. That's We're in the process of figuring all that stuff out. It's so fun. It's a, it's a hard transition. So if people need a coach or are a coach and Mm -hmm. would like to learn more about Sphere, where do they go? Yeah, go to sphere.guide. Whether you are a coach who's considering wanting to be a Sphere guide and be a part of something bigger and a part of our mission of democratizing coaching, or whether it's because you are hitting a new milestone in your life and you know that how you got to where you are isn't how you're going to get to where you're going next. Go to spirit.guide and download the app and I'll meet you there. Awesome. Thank you so much for the time today, Devin. Thank you both.
Ready to go from, I really want to build an online business, but don't know where to start, to, wow, I've just sold my first digital product. That's exactly what we're going to help you do during our free Become an Online Teacher course. We've created a simple five-day email-based course to teach you everything you need to get started as an online teacher. By the end of the week, you'll have a digital product that's mapped out, priced, and ready to offer your community. Head over to soulful.mba teacher to sign up. It's totally free.